no less than fate. There's no
Beloved people, precious listeners, it is now 4 minutes to 1 a.m. East African time and you are listening to Jesus is Lord Radio and any moment from now the mightiest mightiest prophet of the Lord the two olive trees that stand before the Lord of all the earth will be live on air please take this time and inform everyone you know tell them to tune in mara tena wapendwa wasikilizaji wakati wote sasa mtumishi wa Mungu nabii mkuu sana wa Bwana mashahidi wawili wa kitabu cha ufunuo mlango wa 10 mlango wa 11 wanaenda kuwa moja kwa moja hewani tafadhali tumia nafasi hii wafikie wote ambao unaweza waambie wasikilize kituo cha redio cha Yesu ni Bwana Beloved people, precious listeners, any minute now the mightiest mightiest prophet of the Lord will be back on air. Please get ready, inform anyone you know, tell them to tune in. Wapendo wasikilizaji dakika yote sasa mtumishi wa Mungu nabii mkuu sana wa Bwana atakuwa moja kwa moja hewani Kwa hivyo kaa chonjo kabisa kaa tayari kabisa Maana mtumishi wa Mungu nabii mkuu sana wa Bwana anaenda kurejea moja kwa moja hewani Praise the Lord mightiest prophet of the Lord Amen so uh 
Now, this is a very powerful night today. Tonight we have a very powerful session because the whole earth is tuned in. It's a big thing. The Lord can be able to reach the whole earth with this very important message and preparedness. And so, let us continue, beloved people. Uh, we saw very clearly in that first segment that the Lord is speaking about preparedness. And the Lord is saying that uh, this is the hour when the church, the church of Christ needs to build reserves. She needs to make gains and consolidate her gains and make progress. In other words, if you look at that paradigm that the Lord has set up in the first segment, following this prophecy, then you see very, very clearly that the prophecy of 11th May 2018 essentially rules out apostasy. He does not factor in apostasy. He simply says that let us now build reserves of righteousness, reserves of holiness, reserves of reverence, Reserves of fear of God, reserves of integrity of heart, reserves of zero tolerance to immorality, reserves of uprightness, reserves of faithfulness, trustworthy, dependability, be dependable on all these wonderful virtues of the cross. That when we do so by the help of the Holy Spirit, then there is a significant and vivid, uh, observable transformation in our lives, in the Christian life, in the life of the church. And the Lord also painted a picture of the tribulation, the great tribulation. In other words, it is an all goes on. That's what the Lord said. That this generation that is known for always saying, I want to do this, it's more profitable to do this. It's more profitable. This generation that is uh, consumed with uh, providence, spending, profitability, I think it, they, they can make a rational decision and say it is more profitable to build reserves now and prepare for the coming of the Messiah than to be blanched all of a sudden without notice into the dispensation of gross wickedness and great darkness. And so I want to continue now, beloved people. I want to continue at this moment by finishing up with Joseph. We have now seen that the message Joseph was speaking was very powerful. Joseph was speaking to this church. In his action, he laid some prophecy to this church. The church may be very careful in his activity, even as he prepared. He was working to prepare the great nation of Israel. He spoke some big things that really touch on this church. So this, the Bible is repeating again in a very wonderful way and lessons learned. Now, we see very clearly, number one, that Joseph was sold. Sold by his brothers to Egypt. He was actually sold to Egypt. And then at the end, he emerged through, he became the ruler in Egypt, the second in command. So, in other words, in whatever circumstances or situations or conditions we may find ourselves in, 
as the church, again, in whatever circumstances the church may find herself in, as she prepares for the coming of the Messiah. She needs to learn from that and know that God will always be with her. Because the Lord was always with Joseph. Always. He was always with Joseph. He did not abandon him or forsake him or leave him. He did not. Why? Number two. Because when God gave Joseph the big dreams, big, big dreams in his heart, Joseph believed the dreams, he believed the prophecies, and he beheld them. He beheld those prophecies unto himself. So the church too needs to learn from that number two, that whenever the Lord gives you such a big prophecy like the coming of the Messiah and your entry into eternity, it doesn't matter, you may be just a widow somewhere, in a small hut, in a slum house, listening, tuned in, or in the villages, in a small hut, or just a poor student somewhere in the university, you are an orphan, you have nothing, your friends have bread, you don't have even bread, even quarter loaf for bread, you're just barely making it through, you know, you're trying to find ways of someone to support you, things are not coming through, or maybe you're unemployed. It does not matter what your circumstance is, but a big dream has been dispensed unto you that you will enter the glorious eternal kingdom of glory in heaven, something that cannot be purchased with money, and you will sit, whoever was a king on this earth, if they become holy and they enter, you sit with them on the same table, equal citizenship, you sit with the Lord in the kingdom of God. A big dream has been dispensed and administered to you. Because the Lord gave Joseph a huge, a big prophecy in his life, in his heart. And Joseph believed it and beheld it steadfastly. And then look, the Lord came through for him. So the same should be for this church. However desperate the situation is, maybe you are a woman who has gone through abortions, you've been a prostitute for some time, and you feel like you don't have much hope, you don't know whether you're saying, oh, sometimes you say, oh, man, I don't think my sins can be forgiven or what. This is the time to repent. It's the time to repent and just prepare and enter. You'll find that you'll be equal. Even to the reverends and the bishops, you'll all be seated there in the kingdom of heaven. Because God has today given you a very big dream, a very big prophecy to your life. He said, you will see the kingdom of glory. I will be with you in glory. Hallelujah. The other lesson that is learned from Joseph is that suffering always comes before glory. Suffering always comes before glory like the Messiah. The Messiah suffered first and now he is glorified. Now he is a king. Look, the Father has sent us here to fight for him, to work for him. He is the king of glory. To do the menial jobs for him, to, to carry the, the, the spade and his way, paint his way very well. He is the king. He is the king of glory. So suffering always comes before glory. So the church, whatever persecution you may be going through, this point number three, whatever the persecution you may be going through, blackmail, ridicule, mockery, for your choice of God, having chosen the Lord, and you're going through a lot, your friends have abandoned you, especially
especially the modern countries, the modern cities, the cities like Nairobi, Mombasa, wherever. Sometimes, you know, Christians are, you know, lukewarm. They dress, you know, slutty. They don't care. You know, they go to movies. They want to be high, high. They hey, hey, high, high Christians, you know. And they don't care much about holiness. They don't want to plunge deep into it. No, they don't want to plunge deep because they want to sustain friends. They want to have one leg in the world, one in the, in the church, you know. And sometimes, you know, when you choose righteousness, then the development become quite disappointing in terms of your relationships, your engagements, your fellowship. But he's saying, no, just take heart. Suffering always comes before glory. You might go to a bank. You are dressed holy as a lady. And you are being told, you know, in this bank, if you're going to work here, you have to, that, that skirt has to be shorter. Because we have a dressing code or in this restaurant, if you're a waitress, you have to change your dressing. And you refuse and then you are denied that job in the bank. And you're back on the tarmac again, tarmacking, looking for job. For three years, you've not gotten a job. And yet you're living right. Those who are wicked are getting jobs. Remember that suffering always comes before glory. Just continue on. The Lord will open a way. He will always be with you. Point number four. Joseph teaches Joseph. Now I'm looking at the life of Joseph himself. Because I thought... This is so powerful that the book of Hebrews raised him as one of the champions of faith. And he's given such a tremendous message to the church in his doings. So, number four, Joseph teaches that integrity, 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 three times. He teaches that integrity is all that matters. No matter what adversities, what enemies, what situations, what ridicule and mockery, tribulation you may be going through in this world. Integrity of person and heart are key, 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 key. Joseph refused to fall into sexual sin with that woman. And yet he was in such a situation of vulnerability. He could have easily said that, you see, I was vulnerable, I was weak. At that time I needed support. I needed encouragement, I needed people around me, systems around me. I needed advantage points. No, he did not say so. He maintained the integrity of the God he worships. He knew what the Lord had deposited in his heart. He knew that was a treasure, that prophecy was big. And point number five, he says, David was tempted in a tremendous way, in a terrible way, eh, by a senior woman in the land. A senior woman in the land faces a very vulnerable young Hebrew boy and tempts him in such a terrible way. A wicked woman in the land with all the power. She has bodyguards, she has everything. She has workers, she's wealthy, she has power. She tempts a little vulnerable boy. That teaches very much this present day church. That in whatever you do in this world today, if the Lord has deposited such an enormous prophecy and vision and dream in you, the way he deposited in Joseph, and the way he has deposited in you, the church now, that the kingdom of God is near, and you are the citizen of the kingdom of God, then the temptations to abandon God will always increase with the activation of that prophecy. Any moment the enemy sees that your prophecy is now about to mature, that your prophecy is alive, the enemy will always try 
increase more temptation that you abandon your God. But please do not. However much the distress, he will increase distress. He will increase the, increase the duration of the distress. And, and, and that, that, that is the moment you stand with God and, 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 and refuse temptation because it marks, it leaves an indelible mark onto your chart of integrity, onto your stripes. Joseph teaches very powerfully that the church needs to flee from sin always and all the time, no matter the circumstance. To flee, run away from sin. We are also taught in his life that courage sometimes is key. You rather choose to go to jail. Courage may be very important in the midst of the worst resistance. We are told also that the Lord delayed, delayed his hopes, delayed his prophecy from fulfilling in order to mature him to the right time. So sometimes you may go through things in life and time, but you see the best timing is always the Lord's time. The life of Joseph obviously teaches that uh, the church today has to really learn to trust God, to trust in God, trust God, and not circumstances, not the, the oncologist, uh, not the MRI doctor who is tomorrow going to reveal to you whether it's a tumor or not, whether it's a cancer or not. Hmm? Because this generation is so quick, too often they turn their backs on God. Hmm? Upon encountering resistance, they, 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 are, they have no tolerance to pain. They have a very low threshold for pain, pain tolerance. But the life of Joseph teaches so clearly that really, really, this generation that loves to trust in equipment, technology, doctors, medicine, economy, news, watch, systems, formula, stock market, the limit. They have to learn to trust God, trust in the Lord, trust God, not circumstances, not situation, not man. Because many times this generation, when you sit into counseling sessions, once in a while when they come for counseling, you quickly realize that they are so often so quick to think that God Almighty has forsaken them and forgotten them. And yet the Lord is there with them. As long as you are born again, you are the beholder of the covenant. This glorious covenant that Christ Jesus gave us. The covenant of the grace. Hmm? So it's very important, beloved people. Hmm? And during hard times, this is the time really to hold on to the Lord. The more. Because then it can only get better. So, Joseph teaches lessons of humility. Isaiah 66, 1 to 3, the humble, the contrite. Hmm? Joseph forgives his brothers. So he teaches a great lesson in forgiveness for the greater purpose, the greater good, the greater mission, to build the nation of Israel. There's so much, beloved people, that you could learn from Joseph as we wind up that tremendous prophecy. First Peter chapter 2, 19. First 
Peter chapter 2, 19 and 21. Before we start on the message of the day today. The message of the night and its data and in other places. First Peter chapter 2, 19, beloved people. First Peter 2, 19. And he says very clearly here. Slaves submit the eighteen. Slaves submit yourselves. Slaves submit yourselves to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. What a tremendous scripture. Verse nineteen then. For it is commendable if a man bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. For it is commendable if a man endures the pain of unjust suffering, unjust treatment, unjust torture because he is conscious of God. So we can endure as long as we know that it is the Lord's to repay. It is the Lord's to reward. The Lord is the one to reward. The Lord is the one to repay. He's encouraging the church to have endurance. To endure. To hold on just a little longer. Everything will be alright. But this generation is such intolerant to pain. Intolerant to, 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 to process. They cannot stand processing. Processing is so difficult for this generation, beloved people. And that is a problem. Matthew chapter 5, 10 to 12, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, verse 11, persecute you, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because of the Lord. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Very powerful, beloved people. Big encouragement to check that. Hold it on. Keep holding on. Keep on keeping on. Following Christ will always lead to persecution and difficulties, beloved people. When you follow Christ, sometimes you may be ridiculed and mocked. But even the least, sometimes, you know, even people sometimes that you think need your help, but you just see them turn around some wickedness and they blackmail you. So he's telling us that following the Lord Jesus will always lead to persecutions and difficulties and of course trials that come from the Lord himself and temptations from the enemy. But the Lord will always fight for you like he did in Genesis 41 verses 39 to 41. Genesis 41 39 to 41. We're now hearing words. Genesis 
41 verses 39 on beloved people and he says the following then Pharaoh said to Joseph since God has made all this known to you there is no one so discerning and wise as you you shall be in charge of my palace and all my people are to submit to your orders only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you <laughs> so the Pharaoh said to Joseph I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger he dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck and he had him ride in his chariot is that a version say second chariot in a chariot at his of his second in command the man shouted before him make way make way make way make way make way ambulance make way make way the man shouted before him make way make way make way as he was coming thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt the Pharaoh said to Joseph I am Pharaoh but without you without your word no one will lift a hand or foot in Egypt and Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphelas and gave him a daughter but that name means the revealer of secrets hallelujah God will always come through for you this church needs to learn that they have a low threshold for pain and persecution and trial so it is with temptation too And the Lord is speaking here very clearly to the church. He's saying the same way the Lord came through for Joseph in such a mighty way. When the fullness of time finally arrived. In such a tremendous way. Then you saw that he was rewarded. God will always make all things finally mature at the appointed time. At the fullness of time. And this generation needs to count on that and depend on that beloved people blessed people depend on the Lord trust the Lord believe the Lord wait on the Lord be patient with the Lord this generation needs to hear that Deuteronomy chapter 31 verse 6 says be strong and courageous Do not be afraid or terrified because of them for the Lord your God goes with you he will never leave you nor forsake you this is powerful because you are the beholders of the covenant of Christ the covenant of the grace the covenant of heaven you are the ones heaven is waiting for right now look at the messengers that have been rolled out that have been sent onto the earth why because there is a tremendous precious bride that has to be prepared look at the effort the effort the father is making 
how special you are to him. Lowering the stairs in the sky, something he has never done before. Coming down in his cloud to visit his servant, doing things, many things, fulfilling prophecy to hint to you, to make a clue to you, a hint, a cue, that look, soon, soon I'm taking the church. I must obey my word. I must always come as written, like a thief in the middle of the night. But very clearly, you can see the effort of the Lord, healing the cripples, raising the dead. He's trying to speak to you, said, the hour is now, prepare. I am your God. I am Jehovah Yahweh, you are God. He talks about, be courageous. Wait upon the Lord, beloved people. What a mighty, mighty message this generation needed to hear. Especially the message on waiting on the Lord. Being courageous to face the world knowing that the Lord is with you. Because sometimes you look at the world and, and, the, and the deceptiveness of this world can lie to you that those who are living secular lives appear to be winning. So the greater temptation to be sucked in, to flow with the wave and try another life in such a manner to compromise your own salvation, beloved people. How terrible. How horrendous to compromise your salvation. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him. Romans chapter 8 verse 28. Who have been called according to His purpose. precious people, we need to begin now to look at the message on the darkness. This is the one that was set out for this day. Slowly transitioning and transiting into darkness, this darkness that I saw in the conversation of yesterday and the other day, 11th May, the year 2018. And also, Yesterday, 12th of May, Saturday, the year 2018. And it's a tremendous message that the Lord speaks within a span of 48 hours. He speaks twice about the great tribulation. Tribulation and the great tribulation. You know, even the tribulation will never start except that the person of the Antichrist is revealed. And the earth will ripen up like this. When the rapture takes place, the earth will ripen up instant like this. For someone to rise up and take charge. For the Antichrist to be revealed. That is obvious now. Because the stock market is crashing and all this. The mayhem, some people missing and all that. But the earth will instantly be ripened up by the Lord. All of a sudden. So, stepwise, I want to look at this entire conversation of Joseph and then transition slowly into the vision, into the prophecy of the light and the darkness so that I can focus on the darkness. We see very clearly that in that prophecy, the interpretation of Joseph, Joseph essentially saw the same thing the Lord presented two days ago here, presented to me two days ago. And it's amazing right now in this place, beloved people. The tremendous conversation between the two, it's just unbelievable. In this conversation,
revelation of Joseph. Joseph talks about the time for superabundance versus the time for depravity, for scarcity. That is the whole story there. That there is a severe suffering, a severe depravity, a severe scarcity, a severe famine that is coming. The death. But before it comes, there is a tremendous abundance, a superabundance, a plenteous time that comes. And you can say that is the fairness of God, that the Lord, before He brings the famine, He brings the supply. Before He brings the great tribulation, He brings the grace. So the Lord is indeed very just. He's a just God. He's a just judge. The eternal judge. So, can we then try to look at this darkness and understand? Because this is light versus darkness. Abundance versus versus depravity. Light versus darkness. I'm now transiting into this tremendous prophecy, May 11th, the year 2018. So, in beginning to look at the light and the darkness, now focusing on the darkness and the light, of course, let us turn to the book of John chapter 9 verses 3 to 6. John chapter 9, 3 to 6, beloved people, as we begin now the conversation for the day. The book of John chapter 9 verses 3 to verse 6. And it says the following. Neither this man nor his parents sinned. Jesus said, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Let us see what King James says. Jesus answered, neither neither has this man sinned nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. Let's go back to NIV. Again, as for now, he says, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Verse 6, he says, having said this, to the ground, made some mud with saliva, with the saliva, and put it on a man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home saying, I've read a little stretched. He says here, beloved people, verse 4, as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Uh, it is so amazing because he mixes the two. He says, as long as it is day, we. He now brings in the whole church. That's why I'm having this conversation with you. 
we must do the work of him who sent me, sent him. And then he sent the church. Let us see King James verse 4. I must work the works of him that sent me while it is day. The night cometh when no man can work. That's very powerful. And then Amplified says, as long as I am in the uh, verse 4, beloved, he said, we must work the works of him who sent me. So it begins with we. We must work the works of him who sent me and be busy. Be busy with the business while it is daylight. Night is coming on when no man can work. That is not amplified. And the New American Standard says, we must work the works of him who sent me as long as it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. This is powerful, beloved people. This is the commissioning and the instruction to the church. Because I have seen the night coming. I have seen that night coming. So he's saying that during the day as at now, because I have seen the two dispensations displayed in a powerful way. The Lord lifted me up above the earth. Then I could see the earth. I saw the earth in one dispensation of light. Then a full block, a wall, the wall of darkness appeared and there was peace darkness, the light disappeared. Instant and unannounced and unprepared, unexpected. What a blessed time that at this hour, these things can happen. So can we read further as we build on to this now? Now you're beginning to understand that the daytime, this daylight, daytime we are in, there is a commissioning of some work that we are duty bound to commission, to do, to execute while still here. And I'll walk you very slowly until we understand what is this work. John chapter 11 verse 9 too. Let us read John chapter 11 verse 9. As we build on to this. Jesus answered, Are there no 12 hours of a day? Again, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who works by day will not stumble. Again, <laughs> I need to come down. Again, he says, let me start again. Verse 9, beloved people. Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble. For he sees by this world's light, by the light of this world, by this world's light. Again, Jesus answered, let's read other versions, New American Standard. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? Yet, uh, NIV said, are there not 12 hours of daylight? So NIV is very powerful here. But he says, in New American Standard, Jesus answered, Are there not 12 hours in the day? 
If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of this world. It finishes very beautifully there. Amplified says, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? Anyone who walks about in the daytime does not stumble because he sees by the light of this world. Very powerful, the way Amplified has put it. Verse 9 still with King James, he says, Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in the day? If any man walk in the day, he stumbleth not, because he seeth the light of this world. Very powerful, the light of the world, our Lord Jesus. So now, you see, blessed people, that the Lord presents this in a very powerful way. He begins to talk about, I must do the work of him who sent me while it is still daytime. And in that way, in John chapter 9 that we began with, <coughs> in John chapter 9 verses 3 to 6 when he says, he has to do the work of he who sent him while it is still day. And he says that night is coming when no man can do any work, when he will not be able to do any work. And if there is an instruction the Lord is passing to the church, the present day church, based on this prophecy in which I have seen the dispensation of light and how it comes to an end, finally has shown me the end of it, and then the dispensation of darkness commence. And the tremendous works in there, we were plowing through the darkness with tremendous power, and I cannot describe, there's a lot of concealed that have not revealed about the power and the action that is taking place in the darkness. If you knew, you would make sure you don't enter there. There's so much. There's so much other that involves, you know, the person that walks with me. So it's tremendous, tremendous plowing through the darkness. Enormous. But the way the Lord presents it by saying that there is a finite time. In other words, that there is a limited time for the work with which we have been commissioned, for which we have been commissioned. He uses light is coming to create an impulse, an awakening, a shaking, a knee jack. He said, night is coming, do the work of he who sent me. We should do the work of he who sent him. That is God the Father. And the Lord essentially says that there are certain specific tasks. There is a specific work to do on the earth that the church has been programmed to do by unit time within time zones. That at this hour, the church, this last hour, the church ought to be doing a certain work. So this is not something that is beginning now. It talks about the prophetic timeline of God from the inception of the church. And it's telling the church of Christ today that every second counts because time is finite. It is limited. It has been set by God. It has been set by the Godhead has been set by God the Father. Time has been set. And he says night is coming to create a jack, to create an adrenaline shot in your blood, to create a jump, a knee jack, a fear, an impulse, whichever you want to put it. 
and he said, let us do the work of him who sent me. So he's essentially saying that there is specific work, a program of work that has been given to the church. And he said, while she's still on the earth. And we know too well that for Jesus, if we borrow now from him, our master, that Jesus went about doing good, rebuking sin, and helping the poor, and doing miracles, healing the sick. So that work, you see how it was cut out for him, redeeming the souls, doing good, rebuking sin. By, by rebuking sin, he redeemed souls. And doing miracles, raising the dead. And he's saying that the church too needs to realize that each moment of her time, the life she has upon this earth has been categorized, has been stratified for work, has been allotted, in other words. A timetable for doing work. And Jesus is saying, let me do the work of he who sent me before night comes, during the day, because night cometh when no man can work. Although, if I don't do a certain segment of the work, a certain program within the program, if I don't accomplish today's portion, it will mess up the entire. That's what Jesus is raising here. And that's a tremendous responsibility for this church. And he came to fulfill the law and satisfy justice for all of us. He brought the works of grace, he came to do the works of grace. Until he crafted the church. He crafted the church, he anchored the souls of the church, of the saints, into the throne room of God at the mercy seat where his blood atoned, his blood touched for propitiation, propitiation, for atonement. But I'm saying that as I build on this tremendous sermon today, we are now seeing that the light the Lord showed me in that prophecy, when he showed me that light, that that light spoke much to the present day church. He's saying, you need to be working on a daily basis and becoming accountable. He's calling on the church's accountability, accountability of the church. How many souls have you won today? How many people did you lead to the Lord today? How many people did you talk to about Jesus today? How many people did you baptize today? He said, there is work. And I don't want to preempt myself, beloved people. Let's move to John chapter 12, verse 35, as I build on this. Daytime, he said, during the day, there is work. We have been apportioned work. We have been programmed to accomplish certain peace by peace. For example, if the present day church, let's begin with the primitive church. The primitive church did its time. They did tremendous time. And they built the church. They built the foundation of the church that Jesus laid. They built upon it. They built the church. You are Peter. You are James and John. And they did the works. They worked. Many people came into salvation. And after that, they passed the baton to the present day church. And the, 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 the ancient church, the primitive
were beheaded, translating the Bible for you to have the Bible today in your language, readable that you may know about this saving grace of Jesus. This wonderful command of God the Father, the Godhead. Some of them suffered. They died in the process. They died for the gospel. Stephen was stoned and he saw heaven open. So they did a tremendous work of courage and tolerance and steadfastness and endurance. Patient endurance. And when they finished, they passed the baton to the present day church. Now look at that now. The building of the body of Christ does not start today. It starts from then when the church was received upon her first birthday, when the Holy Ghost descended in that room. The Holy Spirit came when Jesus triumphed on the cross and set the Holy Spirit. That was the birth of the church. And they have been building on until today. So if this present day church takes the baton and on the line, the relay, relay, this is a short relay. We see the finishing line, we are holding the baton, it has been passed to us. We are racing now to cross the line. So, if this present day church does not do her part right, she spoils for the entire. It will be woeful. It will be pitiful. Because so much effort has been put on from the Lord Jesus, all the, the disciples, apostles, until this day. The saints that suffered, persecuted. They won't see glory. The church succeeds. The devil failed. The devil humiliated. So John chapter 12, 35, he says the following. He says, again, John 12, 35. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while the light before the darkness overtakes you. Walk while you have the light before the darkness overtakes you. The man walks in the light while you have it. Again, let me just say, uh, hallelujah. I start to get 35. Then Jesus told them, you are going to have the light just a little while longer. Walk while you have the light before darkness overrules you, overtakes you. The man, the man who walks in the dark does not know where he is going. It is so powerful, beloved people. Again, you wonder the work. You wonder the work that he says, let me do the work of he who sent me, the works of he who sent me, while it is still daylight, daytime. Darkness is coming, night is coming. When no man can work. And I have seen darkness. And now you see that part of that work involves walking in the light that the hidden may see. That the non-believers may see. Those who don't believe, don't subscribe to Christianity, to the salvation of the cross. When, when, they, when they don't believe and then they see you walking in the light. He says that is the best form of evangelism ever. Because it is attestation. You are testifying that yes, this is the way. Jesus gave them this answer. John chapter 5 verse 19. Building on this, beloved people. I tell you the truth. 
the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees the father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son does. Now I'm slowly getting down to John chapter 9 verses 3 to 6. I'm slowly beginning to explain to you John chapter 9 verses 3 to 6 that we read. John 9, 3 to 6 said, and I'm reading again. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, Jesus said. But this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. Part 4, which is our target. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can walk. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So verse 4 is very powerful, beloved people, plus 5, of course. So now we are beginning to narrow down. When we read John chapter 5, verse 19, on what type of work Jesus is commissioning the present day church to go do in the light, in the daytime, before the darkness I saw. Right in the horizon. And he says, 19, Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing. Because whatever the father does, the son also does. So powerful, beloved people. Now I'm beginning to bring you slowly into what type of work and the dynamic of the kind of work the church is expected to do across the strata, the stratum of the demarcations of time towards zero countdown. We know the prophetic timeline is stratified, it's cut rather, it's demarcated. And it's saying time is over and the church ought to be working. Can I explain better now what the Lord was talking about in this working? Turn with me to John 17. We read again John 17 that you may understand a little better. This work that the Lord is commissioning the church to do at this time and the dynamic of the work. John 17 from verse 1, I read up to verse 5. And he says this. After this, after Jesus said this, he looked towards heaven and prayed, Father, the time has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you granted him authority over all people, that he might give eternal life. To all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life. That they may know you. And only the only one and true God. And Christ Jesus whom you have sent. I have brought you glory on earth. By completing the work you gave.
have made to do. You see that now? He's saying he has completed the work. We are defining this work, beloved people, for the church. He says, I have brought you glory, verse 4. I have, I have brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. So you see, this is the place now where the Lord Jesus is saying, I have completed the work. The end has come. And I'm in the process of doing a scholarship, an expedition with you to define the work that the church may get down to doing the work. Because I've seen the dispensation of that that's coming, so she'd rather get down to the work. But how does she do the work without knowing the work that she needs, she needs to work? That you have to work the works of He who sent me. And now He's saying He has completed the works of the Father on the earth by completing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the original glory, with the glory I had with you before the world began. How powerful. Can we go to Isaiah 35, verses 3 to 5 and see if we are beginning to understand a little bit of the work. I'm opening it, opening it up bit by bit, small by small, that we may have baby steps but get to understand the whole paradigm on the work. The work the church ought to do in the light. That's why I said, as I move into the darkness, I want to handle the light and the darkness. So you see that there is a message that the darkness is trumpeting to the church. I painted the picture of the darkness and it was absolutely horrendous. Now nobody wants to go into the darkness. Everybody now wants to be in the light and remain in the light and enter the kingdom of light, the kingdom of glory. And you remember in one of those major visitations when he presented before me Melchizedek, then the father presented Melchizedek, then the voice of the father said, he wrote, actually he wrote, he wrote, sorry, he wrote, he wrote on a piece of paper for me, long time ago, I think quite a few years ago, he wrote, Melchizedek's day is known as the day of light. So you see now, this is the light we are talking about, we are children of the light. Nobody wants to enter the darkness. You simply want to enter the kingdom of glory where the light, the Lamb, where God and the Lamb are the light of the city. No need for the sun anymore. But Isaiah 35 verses 3 to 9 gives us a little glimpse on the type of work he's commissioning the church to do in the day. As we read from the work that Jesus was commissioned, the work he's saying, he's telling the Father he has finished the work. The work the Father gave him. Let us look at that work and see for the church too the work we need to do then. Isaiah 35 verse 3 says, Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Shaking knees in other words. Say to those with fearful hearts, Be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then 
will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert and he goes on to say beloved people the burning sand will become a pool and the thirsty ground bubbling springs in the hounds where the jackals once lay grass and reeds and papyrus will grow and a highway will be there it will be called the way of holiness the unclean will not journey on it it will be for those who walk in that way wicked fools will not go about on it no lion will be there nor any ferocious beast will get upon it they will not be found there but only the redeemed of the lord will walk there how powerful beloved people when you begin now to understand the duty and the commissioning that the lord jesus was given the works of he that sent him the works that jesus did are now coming apparent and clear they are becoming clear and he says to strengthen the feeble hand to steady the shaky again he says to strengthen the feeble to steady the shaky and to encourage to to give courage to the fearful to tell them to be strong and not to fear because they are god coming and he comes to the vengeance and divine retribution and then a revival takes place the revival of redemption the revival of souls and he says those who are blind who live in the valley of the shadow of death i don't want to go there that's uh, isaiah 9 in the calling of the messiah as the prophecy the prophet isaiah was instructing the messiah you know the prophet isaiah called the messiah into being and instructed where his ministry would be in the galilee by lake kinneret they were the college in israel the galilee and you see he said a light has come unto those who live in the valley of the shadow of death meaning they are living in that valley and between them and the lord is death death is standing so they are being overcast by the shadow of death he was sent there he was sent to open the eyes of the blind those who are spiritually blind and physically blind to open the deaf ears the ears that are dull to the gospel but now they may be open and they may get to hear the good news of the coming of the kingdom of god of the coming of the grace of god of the coming of the redemption of the blood of jesus that their dull ears may now be unstoppable unstopped that those who are lame may now be sent crippled lame they may go leaping like a deer now to carry the gospel the moving word including the physical healing of the crippled the blind the deaf the mute the paralytic the lame the cancer leprosy all these words this is what jesus was referring to when he told the father that i have completed the work so in other words the work that jesus did was the redemptive 
of the cross to fulfill the law and satisfy the justice and do the works of the grace and grasp the church by anchoring her soul unto the throne room on the mercy seat of God. It's amazing that when Jesus talks about the darkness, when the Lord Jesus in John chapter 9 verses 3 to verse 6, essentially verse 4 is key, is instrumental, he presents this tremendous striking season of darkness, the power of evil that is ahead. That is what he exalts in that scripture of John chapter 9 verses 3 to 6. He says, look, there is this tremendous darkness ahead of you here. Do your work now. That is the same thing the Father showed me two days ago, including yesterday. When he showed me the light and this tremendous wall of darkness that consumes, and it's a tremendous, unbelievable, unbearable darkness, beloved people. So he's saying, go to them and tell them you have seen this striking instance of tremendous season of darkness, season of the power of wickedness and evil that is ahead of them. They will not survive. They cannot bear it. Go and warn them. That is what the scripture in John chapter 9 verses 3 to 6 essentially elaborates, illustrates, demonstrates, and manifests. He says that the shadows of the evening have come already. And the opportunities of the daylight are fast passing away and passing away eternally. They will never come back. So this is the hour to prepare and not, not just to prepare but to do the works of he who sent Jesus. To do the works of he who sent me, says the Lord. He's saying, in other words, the evening has come, beloved people. And he's using the night is coming to create an adrenaline shot, an impulse, an Egypt reaction. And I have seen the darkness and we are very close to the darkness. Any moment it can happen. Plunge into the darkness without notice, unexpectedly, without announcement, without preparation. The announcement is this one happening here today now. Hey. And he's saying that Go to them and tell them you have seen this wall of darkness and have taken you inside and you've seen the tremendous season and dispensation of wickedness, extreme evil that will take place there and you are involved in trying to quench that evil, in stamping it out and it's a tremendous situation. Almost 1.5 billion people die. Maybe more. Because they move like a storm. The two dreadful witnesses. And he's saying, shout it unto them that the shadows of the evening are already falling on this generation. The shadows of the evening are already falling on this generation, on this church, on this dispensation, on these people. And that the opportunities that daylight offer are fast running out and eternally running out. They are irredeemable. They don't come back. They don't come back. In other words, he's saying that when night comes, 
Light will have come and no one can go back to work. You cannot say, okay, light has come, I'm waiting a little bit so I can go back to work. The opportunities are fast going and passing and surpassing, slipping from your hands and they are irredeemable. They are irretrievable. They are irreversible. Once the opportunities are gone, it is gone. Gone is gone. And the Lord is speaking very powerfully to this generation in this way, beloved people, and asking this generation to begin to do the work of He that sent Jesus. And when you look at John 9:11, John 11:9, sorry, John 11:9, briefly, John chapter 11 verse 9, very powerful scripture. Then we can open up a little wider now. And try to understand these 12 hours of day night Jesus talked about. Where are they? And where are we? I know everyone globally has received the grace of God. They have seen the disposition of the love, the love, the heart of God loving the church. And he has made it so clear to everybody that we are really at the end. If they are 12 hours, this is the 11th hour though. John and then deep and some minutes, within, we are within the 11th hour. So John chapter 11, verse 9, beloved people. John 11, 9, 11, 9 says, Jesus answered, I'm trying to open up this a little wider for your understanding, for your scope, in order to address the darkness I saw, beloved people. How awesome, how powerful. Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours of daylight? A man who walks by day will not stumble for he sees this world for he sees by the light of the world because he says this by this world's light he sees by the light of this world let me read amplified he says Jesus answered are there not 12 hours in the day anyone who walks about in the daytime does not stumble because he sees by the light of this world, which is our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is our Lord Jesus Christ? So powerful, beloved people. So you see, he's talking about 12 hours in the day according to biblical spiritual definition, beloved people. Spiritual, these are spiritual hours, beloved people. And he says, that men can walk. They can walk while it is still day. And he's saying, they can walk to walk while it's still day. And he's talking about the day of salvation here. I hope you understand this now. He's talking about the day of salvation, the day of the grace. The 12 hours of the grace. The 12 hours of salvation, beloved people. Beyond which, after which salvation, the door is closed. Tremendous, unbelievable, horrendous. Suffering and pain and tribulation will consume. And he makes it very clear that it would be a grave mistake for anybody to think, to think that let me try out the darkness and try out my chances because I'm not able to make it now. Because he says, Many will stumble and fall 
Again, many, that is a big warning. Many will stumble and fall when night comes. That is the warning he throws right there. Many will stumble and fall when night comes. Many will stumble and fall when night comes. And I'm reading here right now, Revelation 11, verse 6. These men have power to shut up the sky, that it will not rain during the time they are prophesying. And the earth, their, their power to strike and their power to turn the waters of the earth into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they want. And look at that. And then when you go to Revelation 13, then you see from verse 3, one of the beasts, what, what, verse 2, we need to start from verse 2. The beast I saw resembled a leopard. He had feet like those of a bear, a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon, that is Satan, of course, gave the beast the following three things. His power, his throne, and his great authority. Not just authority, great authority. Verse 3 now. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have been, to have had a fatal wound. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Did you understand when Jesus said, many will stumble and fall when night comes? When night falls, nightfall takes place, darkness comes, many will stumble and fall. Let me read it for you again. The whole world was astonished and they followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against him? Did you understand what the Lord meant here? That many will stumble when night comes, when nightfall happens. Many will stumble and fall, beloved people. What a tremendous time in the history of the church. So, he's already starting to stratify for you the gravity of preparing now, but I want to get deeper into the 12 hours of salvation. The 12 hours of the day of salvation. The 12 hours of the grace day, the day of grace. The 12 hours of the mercy day, the day of mercy, the day of mercy. The 12 hours of the day of the cross. The 12 hours of the day of the blood, when you can still receive the Lord and enter. The 12 hours of the open heaven. I still want to discuss that further. However, in a moment, I want to just revisit a single thing which is very important here. Again, to revisit the words. What does the Bible tell us? What are the exact words that is asking us to do within the 12 hours of day? The 12 hours of salvation. The 12 hours of the day of salvation. The 12 hours of the day of the grace. The 12 hours of the day of mercy. What is the exact work? What exactly is the work that he is asking the church to do today? Turn with me to the book of John chapter 6, beloved people, that we see if we can characterize the exact work that is commissioning the church to do. 
John chapter 6 from verse 28 and 29. Only two verses, two. We will do it. John chapter 6, beloved people, 28, 29. This is what he says. Then they asked him, What must we do to do the works of the works God requires? Again. Because they were following him and he rebuked them. He said, you are not following me because you've seen the wonders. Let me just read from 22 so you will get a bigger picture. From verse 25 actually. Five. When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked him, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because remember he had just produced a lot of bread, miraculously turned loaves just one, two, three, turned them into lots of loaves and baskets. Four baskets remained. People ate loaves to their field. Powerful bake. Well baked. And you can imagine top bake. The type of bake that is golden brown, you know. That when you eat, you feel this is bread. This is wheat. This is flour. So powerful bake. He baked it. He, he did the miracle and they ate bread. They began to follow him for that. And he knew that they were following for, following him for the they ate. And that's why Matthew 6, 20, I mean, John 6, 25, he says, When they found him on the other side of the lake, they asked, Rabbi, when did you get here? Because they did not see him take a boat. The Lord was trying to reveal, at that point, trying to reveal the divinity of the Christ. God the Father was trying to reveal them the divinity of the Christ, the deity of the Christ, saying that, no, this one is from heaven. This one is not from the earth. No, this one is strange. This one is mysterious. can do things that are not controlled by the laws of nature. You are familiar with one with whom God the Father is doing the same right now to again deliver the same message. That this one is not from here. This one is from my throne. By doubling him here, by one walking in the grass there, another one is in the house. By one being in the sky. By dropping him from heaven. These are the things the Lord was doing at this time for the Messiah to make the people know that, look, this is not human. This is from heaven. This is God the Son. And so they saw the bread and then they did not see him take a boat only to be shocked he's already this way. That is the way God was demonstrating to them. That he is from the throne of God. Rabbi, when did you get here? In other versions, they say, how did you get here? Verse 26, Jesus answered, I tell you the truth, you are not looking for me. Sorry, I tell you the truth, you are looking for me. Not because you saw the miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves and had your fill. Verse 27, it says, do not work for the food that spoils, but, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. On Him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. Now, in that last segment, this is very powerful, beloved people. That last part where it says, on Him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. You know that that was on the Jordan River. At the Jordan River, when he was baptized, and the Godhead came back in bodily form, a tremendous white, huge, white, glorious dove. The Godhead coming, God coming out of heaven, big and 
Moriah, heavenly host, prophet, men, and so forth, when he was baptized by he that speaks with you, then he came out of the river, and then the Holy Spirit landed on him, settled on him, dissolved on him, and then the Holy Spirit left at that time. That is what he meant here when he says, on him, God the Father has placed the seal of approval. That is the day God the Father said, this is my chosen one. This is my precious one. This is my beloved son, whom I love very much. With him I'm well pleased. This is the chosen one. This is the one you've been waiting for. This is the one with the message of the throne. And you people are now aware of a repeat of the same on January 1, the year 2009 at Kakamega. Now regarding the two dreadful witnesses of Revelation 11, the one that speaks with you here. Tremendous time. And many times, once they change, the Lord is changing them very rapidly. One becomes the other. Sometimes one is in the sky. And it's a tremendous time in preparation for the dispensation of darkness. There's so much conversation I've shared here. But he goes on to say about 28 in trying to define the exact work that the church should do. Then they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe the one he has sent. Period. To believe the one he has sent. Period, beloved people. Not anymore. So now we are beginning to narrow down to the exact work that the church is being commissioned to do in the daytime while the daylight is on before the dispensation of darkness comes in. Can I take this conversation deeper, beloved people, for you? Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 20, verses 1 to 16, that you may now look at the prophetic timeline the fact that we are near now to the wall, the wall, the huge wall of darkness, and that there is much work that needs to be done to get the whole world to believe in Jesus. To get the whole world to believe in Jesus. To win souls for Jesus. To baptize them. To make disciples of Jesus across the nation. That is the work. But let me take it a little further and satisfy it, beloved people. And he says, Matthew chapter 20, he gives a parable here. Matthew 1 to 16, he says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his yard, in his vineyard. Verse 2. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them to his vineyard. About the third hour, that's about nine o'clock in the morning, about the third hour, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing but for. He told them, you also go and work in the vineyard and I'll pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour, that is midday, and the ninth hour, that's three o'clock, and did the same thing. 
about the 11th hour, that's 5 o'clock, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? But no one has hired us, they answered. Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, you also go and work. Remember, those are the ones at 5 o'clock. Because we have the 12 hour shift. Remember the 12 hours of light? You also go and work in the vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last one hired and going to the first ones in the morning, beginning the ones at 11th hour, the one at 5 p.m., and the other, all the way down. The workers were hired about 11th hour, came and each received a, a denarius. So when they came, and so, so when those who came, again let me repeat it, and when those who came and were hired first, so when they came, those who were hired first, they expected to receive more. Hallelujah. But each of them also received a denarius. Again, let me explain this here. Those that were hired at 5 p.m., one hour to the close of shift, they received one denarius. They started with them. And they went down the ladder. They one denarius for each, even the ones that worked since morning. This is what he's saying here. And he says, But no one, uh, let, let, me get, let me get my bearing here, beloved people. Verse 11. When they received it, they began to grumble against the owner. They began to murmur, to complain, and to grumble against the land owner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, and you have let them equal to us who have borne all, who have carried all the burden of the world this morning and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for the denarius? A denarius? Take your pay and go home. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I give you. Did I have the right to do that which I want to do with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first. will be last. Beloved people, that's very powerful for the 12th hour. The 12th hour day. The 12th hour day of salvation. The 12th hour day of grace. You can see very clearly that some people 
are going to come on board at the 11th hour. We are talking about the spiritual work day, which is different from the physical work day, beloved people. The spiritual work day, the 12 hours, is the time in which we Christians, the church, are supposed to go out there and get the gospel to as many lost souls as possible. Souls. And when the 12 hours are done, reward will be given. The reward given to all is the gift of eternal life, beloved people. And the Lord is saying, it does not matter, it's so good to start working early, of course, but it does not matter, everybody can come on board now, even if you're a Muslim, you're a murderer, you're an atheist, you're a what, and you come on board now and repent, even if on the cross, remember the one that was on the cross. The real 11th hour, I don't know, 51 seconds. And he cried out to the Lord on the cross, crucified already. And the Lord said, today I will be with you in glory. He was still redeemed and given the gift of eternal life out of the power of mercy. This is what our Lord is bringing here. And I'm going to connect this to you very beautifully to the book of Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. But allow me first open it up more. He's saying, he's talking about the spiritual work day, the spiritual work. It is not your normal physical work day. Someone can come on board today and lead people to the Lord. Can even lead more people to the Lord, by the way. Or lead simply one person and still enter eternity like they that received the Lord in the year 1953. Or 1921. So in defining this darkness, beloved people, look at the generosity there. He expresses a tremendous generosity there. He says he is so generous. That is his nature. That is the mission he brought, the mission of mercy and grace. Why does he do that? Can you turn the book of Genesis? Why? Does he come with that mission of the grace? And the person that comes in at the 11th hour receives the same amount. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Look at what he says. Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air over the life serpent, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that crawl and move along the ground. Of course, 27, he says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So this is so powerful, beloved people. Because it's coming out very clearly at this place in time. That this is the reason for which Matthew 20 received the response that the Messiah gave. And this is something that is going to happen soon, beloved people. Oh, I planted a hundred churches. No, but this Muslim has just received the Lord yesterday and now he's in heaven with us. He says, no, it does not matter. 
as long as they repent. So this image and likeness of God, when you look at Genesis 2, 16, 17, then there is a problem. He says, And the Lord God commanded them, You are free to eat from any of the trees in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For the day when you eat of it, you will surely die. And when God says you will surely die, indeed you will surely die. So you see now, created in the image of God, power delegated to them. There was a devolution of power from heaven to them. And they were given authority to control everything, even the snakes and what? Everything were under their sub, under their authority. Nothing would attack them. They had power under the sea. The livestock and everything crawling over the soil, the land, the ground. Aerospace in the air, the birds. And then he gives them this command in Genesis 2, 16 and 17. And after that, then you hear a different story in Genesis 3, verses 6 on. The reason he was able to bury the last person, the same denarius, as he paid the first person in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 to 16. Because in Genesis 3, verse 6, all the way to verse 11, we can reach 11, he says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, and pleasing to the eye, and also desirable for getting wisdom, in other words, trying to get wisdom through the path go, not through the fear of God, she took some and ate, and ate it. She also gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it. And they, then their eyes both opened, then their eyes, the eyes of both of them were opened, and they realized that they were naked. So they sewed fig leaves together. You remember that is the first kill the woman demonstrates. That's the first kill she advances in the universe after creation. The woman is now advancing a skill of sowing. He says, So they sewed fig leaves together, fig leaves together, and made covering for themselves. Human solution, there you go. Then the man said, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God, verse 8 is very pivotal. Then the man, the man and the woman and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called out to man, Adam, where are you? He called out to man, where are you? And if you are someone interested in studying revival, the dispensation of grace, prophetic timeline, this one here is the moment that you see the dispensation of grace 
being rolled out. The Lord proposes the dispensation of grace right here. Genesis chapter 3 verse 8. He advances the grace to fallen men. How? Because you see the Lord walking. As God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, then he asked Adam, where are you? Meaning, God who sees everything. He could see them that they are fallen. He could have said, this project does not work. Let me get rid of these people. Let me start afresh like in the days of Noah later. He does that. But, he decides to walk towards them, advance towards them, to extend a, receive, a receiving hand, a rescuing hand, a saving hand, a hand of mercy, a hand of grace to men. This is the moment when the dispensation of grace is being dispensed. This is yet another moment when the dispensation of grace is being pronounced by the Lord. Verse 10, he answered, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you are naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, verse 12, verse 12, the man said, The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. Verse 13, Then the Lord God said to the woman, What is this you have done? And on and on and on and on. Beloved, it's so powerful, because right now, you can see that Genesis 1.26 created in the image of God. 1.26.27 created in the image and likeness of God. And that image and likeness of God is righteousness and holiness. The authority of righteousness and holiness. And then you see the command to sustain that garment of righteousness and holiness in Genesis chapter 2. Verses 16 to 17, he said, don't touch that tree of knowledge of good and evil. But when you come now to Genesis 3, verse 7 down, verse 6 if you will, all the way down, then you find that there is a fall now. That mankind falls, but immediately falls, then you see that God never loses, never loses to Satan. So he pronounces forth the grace that should visit man. So he makes physical steps, boom, 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 walking with extended arms towards his fallen children. He could have abandoned them and said, the wages of sin is death, there you go, you die. But even much more powerful now is Genesis chapter 3 verse 21, beloved people. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. That is very powerful. Meaning the Lord slaughtered an animal. Now let me put this into the whole thing into context for you, into perspective. You see that since creation, he had already decreed that the wages of disobeying him is death. If you touch that tree, you die. And he created man in his own image and likeness. The image of God is righteousness. The image of God is holiness. That is what he meant by the image and likeness of God. 
the image of God is holiness, the likeness of God is righteousness. And then you see when man falls now, then now all of a sudden he advances, he pronounces the grace. But before then, the human being begins to try to use human solution for covering themselves, for covering their disgrace. And yet that is not possible because if I understand it well as you do, in Genesis 1, 26-27, God created the righteous he clothed man with. He created that righteousness. And now he finds the present day church doing the same thing as they were doing. Instead of returning to the Lord, their creator, through repentance, they are busy sowing the fig leaves and trying to get natural and human solutions to address a worship solution. Worship always belongs to the Lord. The laws of worship are determined by the Lord. The benchmarks of worship are determined by the Lord. Those of you listening from Australia, I know you are in your churches now. This is the message the Lord is bringing from Finland. Those of you tuning in from China, all the way from all over the world, South Korea, Japan. I know the entire United States is tuned in all the way to Latin America. The whole Africa is tuned in. All the way to South Africa, from Cairo, from Morocco, and all Asia, Singapore. You are tuned in. This is a tremendous hour. He's saying the benchmark of worship, the standard of worship that he brought through the grace is determined by the Lord. He is the one that provided it and sets it and determines it. Even Aaron, in the book of Exodus 28, you read verses 1 to 5, when it was time for Aaron to appear before the Lord, Moses had to be commanded to separate Aaron and also to approach Bezalel and all those people to whom the Spirit of the Lord had already downloaded the skills and the specs, the specifications of the garment of Aaron and the priests. Anybody that would operate in the priestly office would require the specifics of that garment. Even the ark of the covenant of the Lord, it is designed by the Lord according to the standard in heaven and there are specifics that must, must be adhered to. But why has this generation, when there is a poster in the church, they try to use other solutions to try to address it instead of facing the blood of Jesus and the cross of Jesus and repenting and saying, as a church we have fallen. You see them using fig leaves that God does not accept. What kind of solutions are you using to address an apostasy problem? A posted problem. The problem of apostasy in the church. Because if you turn very quickly to the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 11, beloved people, Revelation chapter 11 verse 1, you see that the yardstick of worship depends on the Lord, is determined by the Lord. He says, I was given, again, I was given, not I looked for, I went and found, no. He says, I was given, meaning handed down from God himself, I was given a reed, I was given a reed like a 
altar and count out, measure out the worshiper there, worshippers there also. In other words, go and measure the house of the Lord, the altar of the Lord, and measure the hearts of the worshippers. Measure and find out if the worship they are doing there really measures the yardstick of God's standard, God's set benchmark. And to prove that what I'm saying is very serious and extremely of gravity to the church, and that the Lord does not relent on it, then you go to the book of Matthew, beloved people, Matthew 22. Matthew 22. Matthew 22, it talks about the kingdom of heaven, the coming of the Messiah. Then he says, verse 11, but when the king came to see, that is at the point of rapture, the point at which the church is about to be taken, <laughs> be very careful who is walking the land, the point at which the church is about to be entered, they, they, they have gathered them to a reception point. They are about to enter eternity like this. Verse 11, it says, Matthew 22, But when the king came to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And graffiti, monami, eventually in Hebrew. He asked, How did you get in here without wedding clothes. The man was speechless. Then the king told his attendants to tie him hands and foot and throw him outside in the darkness where there is the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. For many are invited by few are chosen. So you see that this is a very serious thing what the Lord is doing in Genesis chapter 3 verse 21. <coughs> He's saying that they lost the garment of righteousness. <laughs> they lost the garment of righteousness and they lost the garment of salvation. And so they tried to seek human solution. It could not work because with that they cannot appear before the Lord. That's why the present day church cannot appear. We are caught up in a similar situation because remember the magicians in Egypt. When they tried to do their calculus and work their equation. They could not. The magicians in Egypt could not. They could not resolve the complex and the perplexities of the equation of the dream of Pharaoh. Because at one point there were 14 cows, 7 fat and 7 ugly. 14 grains, heads of grain, 7 fat and 7 ugly. And it's amazing that unless you find a man in whom the spirit of the Lord rests, you cannot resolve this complexity and complication of this equation. And that's why you see today also the magicians in the church, they cannot resolve it because he says, if you look at the book, oh, I don't understand, the book of Matthew 24, which I'm reading now, Verses 45 to 51 before I come back to Matthew 22. Verses 45 to 51 it says, Who then is the faithful and wise whom the master has put in 
in charge of all his possessions. But suppose the soul that is wicked and say to himself, my master is staying away so long, and then he begins to beat up his fellow servants and to eat and drink with the drunkards. And the master, he says, and the master of that servant will come on a day when he does not expect, and at an hour that he leaves a text when he's not aware, and he'll cut him off. So you see, this is the tremendous story here, beloved people. That who then is this servant, the wise servant, whom the Pharaoh can put in charge of Egypt to feed Egypt at the proper time, at the hour of hunger. You can imagine the movements that were taking place in Egypt in the seven good years. Because the Spirit of God gave the counsel, he had the counsel of the Lord. A fair warning, just warning comes with counsel, advice. That because the Lord has said the rapture is coming, because the Lord has said the darkness is coming, the tribulation is near, the wisdom, the counsel of the Lord is this now. Do this and you'll mitigate that. This is powerful, beloved people. Because he's saying right now that he found that Joseph had the spirit of God. Even the Pharaoh, the Pharaoh acknowledges in the scripture we read from verse 39 to 42, to 41, you can see the Pharaoh now acknowledging that Joseph, because only you have the, have the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God now take over this job. You shall, I will put you in charge. Meaning, the servant with the Spirit of the Lord is the servant that will always know the hour of hunger. And he will know where the storehouse is. So he can feed Egypt with the right food. At the proper time. So you can feed the church with the cross and the blood at the hour of hunger, at the proper time now when entry is near. Hey. And going back to the same Matthew 22, then you see Revelation 11 verse 1 that he is given a measuring rod by God. God measuring rod. And on that road, the Lord has put demarcation on his benchmark, his yardstick, where everyone must measure up to this, the irreducible minimum. And he was told, go measure the top of the Lord, measure the altar there, and also measure the hearts of the worshippers. Can you check for me if the word is in their worship, if my decrees are in their worship, if holiness in the, is in their worship, if righteousness is the standard, is the yardstick of their worship too. And then you come to the point of entry in Matthew 22, verse 11 on, when finally God the Father walks the land to see who are those who have been brought and prepared, ready to enter. And he notices a man in there that is not wearing garment, meaning the Father came with the yardstick and began to measure garment, measure the garment, measure the garment, measure the garment. For those who are about to enter, measure one, say you are okay, enter now. Can I measure you also? You are good, let's go. Can I measure? Then you notice this guy whose measurements were not adding up. He asked him, friend, how did you get here? 
Friends, how did you reach here? How did you get here? So, the garment is determined by the Lord. And that's why Genesis 3.21, the first day, man has fallen. But the first day that takes place is Christ Jesus, the Lamb of God, slaughtered by God the Father himself to redeem fallen men. Genesis 3.21 Men have never slaughtered an animal. Never. He was even eat. He was not eating meat. He could not slaughter for food. Because he was vegetarian entirely. And he said, The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. So there, that was the prophecy, the foretelling of Isaiah 61 verse 10, being foretold there, beloved people. He was foretelling Isaiah 61 verse 10 when he was saying that I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with the garment of salvation and arranged me the robe of righteousness. That was the foretelling, the prophecy now being spoken about that if Adam has fallen now with his wife, let us do this. He slaughtered Christ Jesus. He said, I will slaughter the Lamb of God, the Son of the living God, the darling of heaven, the Messiah, my Lord. I will slaughter him. And now there will come forth the garment of righteousness, the garment of salvation, the garment of holiness that they have lost here in Genesis chapter 3 verses 8 down, verse 6 coming down, 5 on, they have lost it already in disobedience. It will be recovered now because of the name of God, because of Christ the Messiah. And he says, now, because that Genesis 3.21, that skin, that was the prophet when he covered him, he said, and I will bring the name of God, and he will go to the cross, and he will die for you, and he will clothe you with the garment of the blood of Jesus, the garment of righteousness, the garment of holiness, that what you lost, when I said in Genesis 1.26-27, that I made you the image and likeness of God, with all dominion and power and authority of righteousness, Power the authority of holiness. You will recover it now. And that is what you see now, beloved people. You now see the exuding of that. When he brings it on in the book of Revelation 19, beloved people. Revelation 19. I'm explaining Matthew 20. Why he gave them. He did not care how long they were. Because it is strictly by mercy and grace. Hey, you see that Genesis 3.21, when the garment is restored on them, the animal skin is covered on them, that was the first time the institution of the sacrifice of the blood, the worship of the blood, the sacrifice of the blood began right there. That's the first time. And that is the first time you can see the power of confession. Because when he asked them, why did you do this? They confessed their sins. They said, the woman you gave me did this. And the woman said, the serpent lied to me. They confessed 
and righteousness and recover the garment that was lost in Genesis and that they may be clothed with it and that on that day they may enter with the thunder of love that Jesus may have joy in his face on his face on that day but in finishing beloved people I still have a little portion here now that I've terminated with the junction between the light and the darkness. How you need to prepare in earnest, genuinely to enter before the darkness. I want to touch a little bit of the darkness and, and finish. I don't know whether you have time for this because time is running out and there is church in the morning. It's already three o'clock. But I would like to read a few scriptures just non-stop for you to talk about this dark, darkness, beloved people. This tremendous darkness that you may say Matthew 24 verses 21 all the way to 22 talks about that darkness. Now I read marathon because of time. There is church. I know some people are tuned in in church in South Korea, Australia and China. Matthew 24 beloved people verse 21, 22 He says the following. He says, For there will be great distress, this again, for there will be great distress unequal from the beginning of the world until now, and never to be equaled again. If those days have not been cut short, no one will survive. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. You remember they cry out, Lord, merciful Savior, when will you avenge our blood? Their souls cry out from the altar, the book of Revelation chapter 20. And say, no, all them until your fellow brethren also have to be beheaded. Anyone that worships the Lord, that's why there is a tremendous fight by he that sticks with you. They plow through like a storm. To, to, to head for the enemy and strike him because he's slaughtering the Christians. It's a tremendous time, beloved sister. And the whole earth is worshipping Satan. Look at how that darkness looks like. Matthew 24, 29 to 30 again. He says, Immediately after the distress of the day, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall off from the sky, and the heaven, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. So now you understand the shaking of the heavenly bodies that he has been doing. The Lord is saying that he will have power at that time to do the same. That's why I say it's a titanic crash where the universe shakes. You think they, they, all the planets are going to crash. It will be bad. Some of them will crash out. And the, the stars will fall off. You don't want to be there. Verse 30 says, At that time, the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and all the nations of the earth will mourn. They will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds in the sky with power and glory, with great power and great glory. That is now with the rapture state. That is the light in the horizon he saw in that prophecy, May 11, 2018. After the tremendous, unbelievable clash that shakes the galaxy, 
some of them 600 billion times bigger than our sun. It would be unbearable. You cannot remain. Nobody can remain here. Mark chapter 13 verse 24, beloved people. Mark 13 24, same thing. Try to open up the space that you may understand now the interior. Interior. In Spanish. The interior of darkness. What is inside that darkness? Mark 13 24 he says. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give light, and the stars will fall off from the sky, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken during the darkness. So you don't want to stay there. Revelation 7, 14. Still talking about the darkness that is coming, beloved people. That you may understand and evade it, avoid it, and prepare and do everything and anything at your disposal to avoid it. Revelation 7, 14, he says, I answered, sir, you know, and he says, these are those who come out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. It is a tremendous time because there is going to be a slaughter. You don't want to be there. Jeremiah 30 verse 7. He said, Jacob's trouble. Jacob's trouble. Isaiah 13 verse 9. He says that that dispensation of darkness will be tremendous and believable because he says, See, the day of the Lord is coming. A cruel thing with wrath and fierce anger to make the land desolate and destroy the sinners within. So, somewhere here calls it the day of the Lord. On the other side, Jacob's trouble and so forth. A moment of distress like never before. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Joel 2 verse 1. Still talking about that darkness that I saw. Joel chapter 2 verse 1. Joel 2 verse 1. This is what he says. Joel chapter 2, verse 1. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sound the alarm on the holy hill. Let those who live in the land tremble, for the day of the Lord is coming, which is close at hand. A day of darkness, verse 2, a day of cloud and blackness, like dawn spreading across the mountains, a large and mighty army comes, such as never was of old, nor ever will be ages 
Thessalonians chapter 2. Revelation chapter 6, verse 9 to 11. Revelation 6, 9 to 11, then I read Revelation 24. Revelation 6, 9 to 11. He said, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, beheaded, in other words, because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. They called out in a loud voice, How long, sovereign Lord, holy and true, until you judge the inhabitants of the earth and avenge our blood? Then each of them was given a rope, and they were told to wait a little longer until the number of their fellow servants and brothers who were to be killed as they had been were completed to be slaughtered, beloved people. He is saying, beloved people, that the darkest night The darkest night is dawning. The darkness is about to appear, beloved people. And it will be the darkest period in human history. You can combine everything you know. You can combine the genocide in Rwanda, the Holocaust, the Bosnia, the Napoleon, the Nazi, the what, the, 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 the Mosul, the ISIS, you can combine all manner of this. It will never be equal to the amount of evil and slaughter that will take place in the dark dispensation, in the dark season. It is now very clear to all people that this is not a time to be in. This is not a place to be as a church, as a Christian, as a person. And so everybody now needs to repent and receive Jesus and be born again and then keep it. Keep the holiness. Keep it. Keep the reserves. Keep it. Guard it. Put it in 45 storehouses. Glories. May the Lord bless you. Shalom, shalom. May you walk with the Lord. May you be holy as you continue to wait on the Lord with anticipation, expectation, eagerness, eagerly. May you preserve the gains of righteousness that you may see the kingdom of God. I'm leading everybody to the Lord now. Say, dear Father, in the mighty name of Jesus, I come before you and repent of all my sins and I ask you to forgive all my sins my iniquity and establish righteousness in my heart today I receive Christ Jesus as my Lord and my Savior so please help me anoint me with the Holy Spirit and establish your word in my heart and keep my name in the Lamb's book of life in heaven, the book you have authored, in the mighty name of Jesus, this morning, 
I am born again. If you're born again, please share with somebody. Find baptism to fulfill all righteousness. The Messiah is coming. I have seen the dispensation of life at the grave end. He is coming. Shalom Toda. Toda Bokeh Tov.
Thank <laughs> you. 